Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle's CriticsPod. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod's best way to help support the podcast. Our T public page at IHateCritics.net. You can buy some podcast merch. And then you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate through the show. You will win a Blu-ray, or not win. You will be given a Blu-ray, a, a mystery Blu-ray. From, yeah, uh, we'll go USA. Yeah. So, and all the information is pinned to the top of our social media pages. Uh, if you get a review, let us know, and I will look it up. I I know. I think we have one that's pending that I keep forgetting to look up because I've been gone. Uh, yeah. Hopefully by next week I have that. Uh. And then I apologize for missing last week, but it sounds like everything went well. How was the Napoleon Dynamite thing? I know you already talked about it, but you didn't talk about it with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, those guys are, are uh, they're funny. They you know they jump around, they do all, they take over the show, and just you you just the the moderator is supposed to just sort of sit there. I I was kind of the timekeeper, and then I tried to keep the time. They're like, no, nah, it's fine. We can keep going. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to get to all the questions, and they did. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounded like a ton of fun. It's really cool you got to do it. Congratulations! That's pretty awesome to moderate something like that. It's pretty. Yeah, I've never done anything like that before. It was really cool. Is it something it's a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot easier than hosting this show, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny part was because you gave it to me, and there was like, I, I, I may be exaggerating, but it was at least 10 minutes, maybe 20 of you and Josh before Zach even got on. And I was like, I really <laughs> kind of want to leave this in there. because This is pretty good. But then you do start the show properly. And I thought about putting it at the end and I was like, ah, I don't, I don't have permission. So I'm just going to, uh, what, what were we even talking about? We were just no getting idea. caught up talking about uh. the, I mean, it's been a while since yeah, you, you probably done much with him. So it was, I don't know. It was just good, friendly conversation. Nothing, scandalous or anything like that but <laughs> it was fun to listen to <laughs> yeah and josh is good josh is really good oh yeah uh let's just jump right into it and we will start with the big new release this week venom venom let there be carnage is the full title uh the uh, sequel starring uh, tom hardy woody harrelson michelle williams and naomi harris uh and basically, the, the story goes that uh, uh, Woody Harrelson is Cletus, Ke- uh, Cletus something or other. Uh, he's a serial killer. He wants to confess his crimes. He'll only confess them to Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy's character. Only if he'll publish this one thing in his in his column, this uh, sort of cryptic message intended for Naomi Harris's character. Naomi, Naomi Harris's character is uh, his uh, former love from when they were both uh, locked up in the same place, the same sanitarium. And he wants to get a private message to her. So Eddie does it. And then he goes back. But uh, before he does, he actually Venom actually captures a couple of images uh, of what of what Woody Harrelson's character is hiding. And actually, he publishes those without ever talking to uh, Kennedy or Cletus again. So there it is. He, he actually gets his scoop without needing to give up anything, really. Um, the this enrages him. They meet again. He bites him and he gets a bit of venom in him does does cletus and uh, he uses that to become carnage the uh 
character Carnage, who uh, just like Venom, but red and has like darts that he can shoot and he can make giant tornadoes, I guess, for reasons. Um, <laughs> this movie, I didn't hate this, but I didn't like it either. Uh, I really, I don't know exactly what anybody is going for in this movie. Woody Harrelson seems to be just completely off in left field doing his own Woody Harrelson thing. He's got this ridiculous looking haircut and stupid outfits and this stupid way of talking. And I just don't understand any of it. He's just, he's making a lot of choices, a lot of big choices. None of them are very good, but there are a lot of big choices going on. Uh, (laughs) Michelle Williams is just, is just, she's just so above all this that she just, she's fine. Naomi Harris's character is just kind of strange and she's not really given anything very interesting. She's a mutant who can scream very loudly that her character is really called Shriek. Uh, and, and that puts her at odds with both Carnage and Venom because they're susceptible to very loud noises. And thus Carnage and Cletus kind of have a sort of at odds situation as well because Cletus, because Carnage kind of wants to kill Shriek. And so that creates an opening for Venom to be able to able to fight him. Um, there's parts of this that are kind of funny. Like the Venom character is kind of funny in that he kind of treats Eddie like his boyfriend, kind of. They don't st- say it outright, but they bicker like a married couple. Uh, and and uh, it's, they seem to have lovers spats at times, which is kind of kind of cute, kind of funny, kind of weird for trying to take the Venom character seriously as, as a as a you know a big time threat to anyone. Uh, there's a centerpiece scene in the movie where Eddie and Venom are actually apart, where Venom has left Eddie and uh, taken up in another, another body, and he goes to a Halloween party, and everybody mistakes him for a costume, and he gets on a microphone and, and says he's coming out of the Eddie closet, which everyone takes to mean that he's coming out as gay, and everybody cheers for him. <laughs> so Venom goes into this whole speech that everybody's kind of misinterpreting as his big coming out speech, which is a cute scene, but I, I mean, again, it's a rather played out joke. I think that's that's something like that has kind of been like these types oh, of misunderstandings sure. are almost sitcom level. This kind of misunderstanding where the fish out of water doesn't understand that what he's saying is is funny and it's the kind of you know just kind of the low bar that this movie lingers on for very for a very long time. On top of which, the action isn't particularly impressive. There's nothing like outwardly terrible. Just a lot of things that just a lot of pieces that don't really fit together. And then of course they're they're going to bring this into the MCU and Venom is going into the next Spider-Man movie apparently. This version of Venom, which is very odd. Uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. I don't know much about Naomi Harris. What's she from? I uh, she's been in a lot of things. Uh, I off the top of my head, I can't name one. Uh, she, but she's a very good actress. I just uh, she's just not given anything interesting to do here. Well, that was what I was going to get at. Is I purposely picked this poster, which if you're listening at home, you can't see, but on YouTube, it's a picture of Tom Hardy, like four separate posters: Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams, and Naomi Harris separately as like their own poster. And I read, I think it was Cinema Jaw said Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson could have been winning Oscars this year, but instead they made Venom. <laughs> it really could be said for all four of these because they're all yeah. four fantastic actors. Uh, and I'm sure it's better than it deserves to be. And definitely this cast is better than it des- than this movie deserves. Uh, maybe everybody got a really nice paycheck. 
Oh yeah, I heard it did very very well this weekend. Ninety three million, I think. Wow. And this probably didn't have to get wasn't streaming anywhere, so no. <laughs> you had to go to the theater to see this one. But I mean, it it's cooler bringing it into the MCU. That's the only thing. Like I haven't seen either one of these movies, uh, but I remember as a kid, Venom was one of the few because I think he was created when I was a kid, so that was kind of cool he was cre- yeah you, you if you watched the spider-man cartoon which would have been around the time you were a kid he was uh, venom was on that and uh, venom was in spider-man 3 as well right well i remember getting the comics when it first came out and so that at least that's another major character i haven't seen in the mcu yet so uh, but again i haven't seen these movies so i don't know how much i care uh, <laughs> but we'll see I mean, I don't understand how he works without Spider-Man, but they've managed to make two movies. Um, and I always thought he was a bad guy, so that makes it even more confusing for me. He, so He's an anti-hero. So, mm. like, uh, the, like, Eddie Brock plays the good side of him who keeps him, you know, if he's going to murder a bad guy, if he's going to eat somebody's head, it's going to be a bad guy. Not a, not just random people. Although he does kill three random people because they can't actually have the venom in them and thus they end up dying when he takes over their bodies so that's not addressed but hey that's fine Venom's really funny while this is happening so it's okay <laughs> is he gonna be a bad guy with spider-man or hard to say uh they've never established the eddie brock spider-man relationship in the in the you know the tom hardy version versus the right uh holland version so uh yeah, they've never really. There's no. There's no Eddie Brock dynamic in the current Spider-Man universe, and Eddie Brock was an antagonist Spider-Man. So hard to say how they how they go together. Okay, that's all I had to keep this conversation going. I tried. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but let's move on to the Many Saints of Newark. Yes, the Many Saints of Newark. Uh, is uh, directed by Alan Taylor. Of course, comes from uh, the creator of the TV series The Sopranos, uh, David Chase, and this is a, a prequel to the HBO series centered on the father of Christopher Moltisanti, one of the characters on the show. Uh, the fa- his father is played by Alessandro Nivola, uh, Dicky Moltisanti, and uh, he's the centerpiece of this story uh, as a uh, criminal who's kind of an underling to the. Uh, head of the Soprano tri- uh, cr- crime family, played by John Bernthal, who is not a character on the TV series. Uh, uh, he's uh, he's gone before the series happens. They really, I, I don't actually, I didn't watch much of the series. I watched like the first two seasons and then sort of dropped out. But uh, I'm I'm sure they're very good. Uh, <laughs> this, however, is not uh, because not because of the connection to the TV series, not because it's filled with. Burgeon, you know, Easter eggs uh, for people who love uh, the TV series. It's it's just that this thing is so stop and start. It is so just random scenes, like especially early on, scenes will happen very quickly and then be gone and have absolutely no effect on the ongoing narrative. And one of the things that happens and is kind of gone is the character of Tony Soprano, which is kind of the bill of goods we were all sold. This is how Tony Soprano becomes Tony Soprano. And no, not really. Nope. <laughs> I mean, just a kid every, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> every scene of him is like people telling him to stay out of crime, 
Don't go, don't go, go, don't go around your uncle Dickie. Uh, stay out of crime. Uh, go to high school, go to college. Who wants to play football? I'm like, I'm Tony Soprano. What's going to, is he going to be, we're going to find out how he's going to be Tony Soprano. And not really. Uh, there are good elements in this. Uh, and Alessandro Navola is a great actor. Uh, I just think the, the, the way they structured this story is so bizarre because you've got this, central conflict between uh, Dickie Moltisanti and a get- character named Harold played by Lamar. Oh, uh, Mar- Odom. <laughs> God, <laughs> Leslie Odom Jr. Who is, uh, is a, <clears throat> one of his employees who then tries to become his own man and be- try- start his own numbers game and they become rivals. And then their, all, their conflict is, is not really resolved in any kind of satisfying way. Because uh, the the comp- the big confrontation that they have happens way before the end of the movie, and is not doesn't solve anything between the two of them. And then Dickie's ultimate fate was that even Harold who who handled I couldn't even tell based off of the way that, that was so the scenery is the cinematography is so dark. I don't honestly know if Harold played a role in what happens to Dickie or not. I'm assuming that was him, but I, I can't. I assume it was sure. Tony Soprano. <laughs> But you couldn't tell. And then, no, I. <laughs> and I figured they had to do something big, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense if it was him. But then they kind of focused on him at the very, very end. This would work better as a TV series, just a one season. Uh, take your time. There was too much going on that I couldn't follow it. Yeah. Like, there was. I mean, I could kind of guess, and I probably guessed right, but. Uh, and I know it's a mob movie, so there's a lot of cheating on your wife and moving on to different girls. And but it was just like, especially the character of Dickie was with like, I, I, was he married? Who was that person he was with at the beginning? And then he, I, I don't know. He just then he was back with her, and then there was really no explanation. Not that you needed it, right? Uh, but it was just kind of annoying, especially when you're, yeah, the, you have a wife not paying whole, attention sitting next to you. You have to try to explain it. The whole thing, uh, the, the Dickie's wife is unable to have a child. So you assume then the relationship he starts with his father's wife, weird to say, but yeah, that's what he's doing. Uh, his, his stepmom, essentially. Uh, you think that's going to pay off with her being Christopher's mother, but then that's never resolved either. It appears that the woman who they said couldn't have a baby apparently did have a baby and that's the, she's the mom. So I was confused about why they even bothered with mentioning that detail about her not being able to have a child. It played no role in the movie whatsoever. And it just seemed to toss that detail in there for no good reason. Um, It was really, there's a lot of frustrating things about this movie, but here's how they're trying to get around this. And this is a theory that I believe uh, Matt Zoller cites is kind of pushing on Twitter uh, and others have kind of mentioned it. The narration is by Christopher Moltisanti, who, and many are saying that this is an unreliable narrative because he uh, he was not there for any of this. He didn't. He was a baby. You see him born in this movie, like you see him as a little as a little baby in the movie. He wasn't there to witness any of the stories that's being told, but he's the narrator. So the defense is why this is so clunky, why this is so nonsensical, why these details seem to be. Uh, thrown in at random, it's somebody who wasn't there relating a story to you that they weren't there for. Like they, it's just them recalling memories that they've made up in their own mind. That's an odd choice. 
for a movie. (laughs) But it fits. It fits with David Chase because did you know the ending of The Sopranos was just a joke on the on the on the cast and the crew? Yeah, which is fine, (laughs) but but to make a feature length movie that was based now is that character in the the TV series The Sopranos? Yeah, Christopher is yes, and does Tony kill him? Yes. Okay, good. Because they at least at one point they say Tony kills me, so I I wasn't sure as long as that's consistent. I mean, that, I, that doesn't I, why you would have him as your narrator doesn't really. Well, there's another aspect of that that goes back to the TV series, but again, you have to do so much homework to try and enjoy what little of this you can enjoy that it's really just it's something that's only for fans of The Sopranos, and even then, I'm not sure how satisfying this is going to be to actual fans of this show. Uh, other than I think I, I, from what I saw of the first two seasons, Corey Stahl is incredible at capturing Uncle Junior. The, the, the mannerisms, the, the, the way he speaks, the, 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 the thin skin, he captures that brilliantly. So I, 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 you obviously wouldn't know that, but not having seen the show. So it probably didn't matter to you in any way. But as somebody who had a, an idea of who Uncle Junior was, that was kind of impressive. And that was really kind of entertaining. He was kind of my favorite part of the movie, honestly, even though he's not necessarily a main character. His thing at the end where he's involved in what happens to the main character is really, it's really clever. And it's a really good use of that character. But there's not enough. Again, you have to have done the homework to know why that's good. And so, again, the movie fails. Yeah, I mean, I've tried. Uh, we were going to start watching The Sopranos earlier this year. We watched one episode, and we both liked it. And quite frankly, from Monday to Thursday, there's like no movies I can watch for the podcast because they all come out on Friday. So it'd be a good if we were going to watch something. Then we could be. Then we just it never went back to it. We probably will at some point. It was funny. My wife's like, "This is a pretty good show." I'm like, "Well, it's like considered the best, one of the best shows of all time." But okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I, as a mob movie, it's just too convoluted for me, uh, and it's too jam-packed. There's too much in it, and it's too short of a running time. Not that I wanted any longer, because I was confused too much. It needed, yeah, it needed to take its time. It'd be better as a series, I think, and they, they could use some of this cleverness, uh, spread it out a little bit, make it make sense a little bit better. Yeah, the whole Ray Liotta thing. I mean, at a TV show, that might have paid off in some way. But in this movie, mm-hmm. that 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 uh, reveal, I guess they might call it, um, it's just utter nonsense and doesn't do anything other than create some really great scenes between him and Alessandro Nivola that have absolutely nothing to do with it just stops the narrative momentum because he has no role in any other aspect of the movie. So right. those scenes that are pretty good where he's trying to give him advice and and it's not when Dickie wants to hear it's those the dynamic is great but that character makes no sense he again they just stop the movie for that and it it just keeps the momentum keeps stopping regularly but the scene that causes them to get to those scenes would have been a great episode ending scene <laughs> absolutely but uh, it's i don't know it, I'm glad I watched it, I guess, but I, I feel like this will be forgotten, even amongst Soprano fans. But what do I know? Many Saints is the English translation of the name Multisanti, by the way. Cool. 
right, let's move on to Netflix. And we'll talk about The Guilty. The Guilty stars Jake Gyllenhaal as in the role of an LAPD detective named Joe Baylor, who gets uh, into trouble and busted down to a 911 operator. Uh, his uh, night is uh, rather mundane. He's going through a series of relatively kind of serious situations and other ones that are not so serious. And then he gets a very strange phone call from a woman who is uh, vocally played by uh, Riley Keough. Um, and she is in a situation. She's talking to him as if she's talking to her daughter as to, so as not to give away what she's actually doing, which is she's in the, a van with a man who has kidnapped her. And she's trying to tell 911 that she's been kidnapped without saying that. And he's luckily he does eventually pick up on that before hanging up on her. Uh, and once he does, he starts to this starts the plot of him trying to figure out a way to help her and and get her out of this situation and try and figure out who this is that kidnapped her and what to do about their what ch- her children were apparently at home alone, which we're going to hear from as well. And a whole overarching narrative that unfolds over about a an 80 to 90 minute period. Uh, this movie is awesome. I loved this. I loved every second of it. I was, I was hooked. The second Riley Keough started, I'm a huge true crime fan. And I, I'm also a huge fan of listening to real life 911 calls because the, some of them are just this entertaining. In fact, the original Danish version of this movie came about because the original director was listening to 911 calls on YouTube. And he heard a call that was similar to this one, uh, which I've heard a call very similar to this one as well about a woman in Alaska who was uh, in the middle of a kidnapping. And she managed to turn on her phone and and call 911 without her kidnapper knowing it. And she's trying to get him to tell her where they're going so she, the 911 operator can hear that. And that's a, I mean, that one is really exciting to listen to. Um, it turns out terribly, unfortunately, so I shouldn't be enjoying it so much, but it was exciting as a story, nevertheless. And this is exciting from beginning to end. Jake Gyllenhaal's incredible. The little details, the the frantic eyes, the even his asthma feels like a plot point. Just to, the way he incorporates it uh, is so brilliant. They just the whole the way he holds his inhaler is something that I do when I'm stressed. Like it just I I get it. I felt it. I felt every moment of this. He's so amazing. And then you've got Antoine Fuqua, who is a hit and miss director. But here he's just hitting on all cylinders. The way he makes this feel so dynamic. And yet we're only in this one spot with this one character throughout the entire movie. We don't see Riley Keough. We don't see Peter Sarsgaard. We don't see any of these other amazing guest stars. Uh, Ethan Hawke plays uh, somebody that he talks to on the phone. It's it's a, an amazing roster of stars, but you only see Gyllenhaal. And you never leave that nine one one office, and he still makes it feel like an action movie, and that is incredible. I'm told that the Danish original is even better than this. I've not seen that, but this to me was just so awesome, and it's because Jake Gyllenhaal is so awesome. I'll agree with you on part of it. Is Gyllenhaal makes this way better than it is. I think this movie is kind of a mess. Uh. <laughs> but Gyllenhaal so good that you kind of can. It's easy to get caught up into the action that he brings to it. Uh, I, I can imagine the Danish one being better. I just feel like they're trying to cram too much into this call and trying to do too many twists and whatever. That a lesser actor would make it annoying. Uh, but <laughs> Gyllenhaal yeah. does a great job of keeping it, of keeping you invested in the movie and not falling out. 
Uh, I, I mean, to me, this is solely him. Uh, in a lot of ways, one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen because I don't like this movie, but he kept pulling <laughs> me back in because of how good he is, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with the excitement of a 911 call, but it just kept taking twists and turns that were to the point where it was kind of almost near eye rolling, but Gyllenhaal still finds a way to make it work. And I, and I, I don't know. A lot of it is, you know, me not, you know, what is the word that I'm looking for? Uh, cynicism being, uh, you know, always like, well, they wouldn't do that or, you know, and so there's definitely a, this is a perfect world scenario, you know, of, <laughs> What, what the right thing a cop should do or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, he does such a great job of holding this movie together, make it a great action movie inside of just a 911 booth operator booth. I, uh, I see for me, Riley Keough also kind of hooked me in with that vocal performance. Her, sh- the way she shifts uh, in, in this character is, is not easy. It's not an easy thing to pull off. And I thought, I thought the way she did it was amazing. And she's that's just her, her acting and her voice uh, making that happen. And I, I thought she was she was amazing. That I know I know there's a lot of people who found that uh, found that particular plot point to be uh, annoying or 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 predictable. I I didn't. I it was I was hook line and sinker in there. But I also had that Alaska phone call in my head too, and I got that true crime thing in my head that's kind of distracting me from. From what what should have been probably obvious, I guess, but uh, it it still it hooked me, and I and I kind of gasped as that went on. So I, I I appreciated the the sleight of hand in play. Well, yeah, and I got like I kept getting nearly pulled out of the movie. And that was one of the things that nearly pulled me out, is because it was kind of like okay, I kind of and again, I'm not. I never got fully as into it as you did, so I, I'm always on the precipice of falling out of it. And so, I think when I, I think that's part of why I saw it coming, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I don't know. It, it's it's good. I, I recommend watching it for the performances alone. But there's just stuff that goes on, and I don't really know what you could have done to make it perfect. Maybe make it a simpler call. Uh, but even with the twists and turns and this, even where I don't really get it, I'm not as buying into it. Every time I start to not buy into it, Hall pulls me back in, uh, and allows me to go along for the ride. And I just, I, I that alone, I find pretty remarkable. Uh, I am trying to say good things about this. Cause that really is where my, I got a bug finder on me. <laughs> I mean, it was just really impressive because more, I would say in general on paper, I don't like this movie, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, he did such a great job of every time I started to drift, pulling me back in. So yeah, uh, I, I, can imagine, I recommend it. I imagine another scenario where I didn't, I did so much and just wore me out. It became exhausting at a certain point, but I, I just I must have been in just the right mood for this because it hit me in all the right places. I got emotional when the when he's talking to the little kid and and she's telling him all the details about their house and 
Uh, then when the cops showed up there, I was I was in I was in that moment. I know that's kind of a manipulative thing, having a little girl in that situation. But it's child real. Danger plot. So that's not that's something it, that exists. It worked though. for me. It worked for me. Yeah, I actually I, I will the scene with the girl. I agree completely. That was. That was one of the things that really started to get me deeper into this movie and, you know, more harder to fall out. And I don't think it was, or whatever the word, I don't think it was, uh, I think it mattered and I think it worked. I don't think that was weak like it is in some other movies. Hmm. Uh, I, and I get, and because of that, it allowed me to stay in it longer when he was doing things at the end. Uh, there's a couple of things at the very yeah. end that I'm just like, I mean, I, I, part of it too is I, it allows you to kind of understand why some cops do the wrong thing and they don't mean to, they, their intentions are good. A lot of that is in this too, which I don't necessarily love, but at the same time I get behind it uh, because he's definitely a, a guy who, hasn't is more of a shoot from the hip kind of react not really thinking things through uh which is good and bad and you find out why but he's kind of an asshole uh, he really is kind of an asshole and i and i, uh, I enjoyed the, how this you know how he transforms through this in a way he doesn't come all the way but he does kind of you know he gets to a point where he becomes a better person and there's a big arc for him in mm-hmm. that that is that Jill Hall is just eating up all the way through he's just because he's just that good the the ending of the Danish original I actually read about that maybe I shouldn't have but I did because I, I felt like they're almost the same movie in many ways but the the actual ending of the Danish original is much more impactful I thought uh, just from reading about it and uh, <laughs> I don't want I don't know if I want to spoil that or not but no I can it, totally it, imagine that though it's slightly different from this in the way what happened to him is revealed and it's, and I thought it had a bigger punch just reading about it. Yeah. And I mean, I will go as far as to say in the hands of a good actor, this movie might not work. (laughs) So that's how (laughs) great he is in it. He's Uh, one of the best there is. I mean, him and cage just continue to hit home run after home run lately. Although we'll see what happens next week. (laughs) He doesn't let us down on, since we started doing this (laughs) it's true but it's on netflix and you'll it's probably at the top of all the charts so i I recommend watching it if nothing else i mean i i finished a written review today i called it the best netflix original of the year low bar i know (laughs) i can't remember what came out anymore (laughs) wasn't there a movie we liked that no one else liked with uh john david washington and Beckett, yeah, that was no, that was not okay. that one, not that one, another no. one, a uh, marriage one. Oh, Malcolm and Marie, yeah, that's a really good movie. I really like that a lot. I'd put that over yeah. this, but but that this performance is fantastic, and I definitely everybody should go and watch it. Coming home in the dark. Coming home in the dark is a, uh, a New Zealand a film from New Zealand, a horror film about a family that goes on a uh, on a hike in a beautiful New Zealand park among the mountains. They're going a little going on a hiking trip to this beautiful lake. They're gonna have a you know lovely afternoon with uh you know mom, dad and two teenagers just kind of spending time together. 
the story is very normal until you until they get to the park and then they're hiking to their location and one of the teenagers sees two men standing on top of the mountain and these two men waved him and and they have a vague sense of menace and it, it's a wonderful introduction to these characters because you just can sense what's coming and then when it comes it's still shocking and impactful what's going to unfold from here is something of a a mystery of uh, this part revenge, but also part kind of question at this time. It's, it's, it's strange. It's, but also just very exciting, incredibly well done. Uh, the direction here is so smart and so frightening that he, he manages to just continue to ring new levels of, of uh, excitement from this story uh, just that most of it is a lot of just driving around and having very deep conversations and uh, pushing the limits. Uh, Daniel Gillies especially is, is here to push uh, the limits of uh, Eric Thompson's character to, to get him to a place where he needs him to get to. And all this is building towards something. Uh, well, again, it's shocking, violent and incredible. Uh, I, I really, I was really, just hit by this movie. It really struck me. I thought this movie was bold and dangerous and scary and incredibly well-directed. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I think the main difference between you and I when it comes to these type of horror movies is I don't need the connection. Uh, To me, when it's just a a bad guy doing bad things for no reason at all is just horrifying and there's enough in real life that we don't need it in movies, I suppose, is a valid argument. Yeah. Uh, it works here, but at the same time, it keeps me from like putting it up there with other movies that are more like even like The Strangers, which is just random people killing or torturing and haunting these two people. I, I, I prefer that over, you know, the connection stuff just because I start asking questions and then. There's nothing can come good of when you're asking questions when you're watching a movie. <laughs> that said, uh, up and everything you said, especially at the beginning, is very. Well, the two guys are introduced is phenomenal. Where they go with it is phenomenal. It is. I I think it's very good for a movie like that that has to have the connection between the killer and the main victim. Uh, it's as good as it can get in that scenario, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, it's definitely. If you're into, I don't want to call it low budget, but uh, I don't know, moderate budget horror movie, this is definitely a good, realistic, uh, terrifying, suspenseful movie, and I definitely recommend it. I found it to be like this this amazing tightrope act that they're doing because how do you come down or where do you go from where this movie begins, especially in terms of the violence, Mm -hmm. where this begins with the violence is at such a crescendo. It's such a height that coming down from that, it's like, where is this going now? And you almost, I felt like we needed that, connection plot if you will just to kind of give this play because uh, otherwise that is such a an outsized moment what happens there that where do you go from there oh for sure i mean and yeah you couldn't uh, you definitely couldn't tell that story without the connection from that point on and have it be as good i agree with that completely uh and i i do like the way they use the connection and then 
kind of uh, at a certain point there are no likable characters <laughs> and i've always been a fan of that <laughs> which yeah. i knew you liked this movie before i saw it so i was kind of like huh this doesn't have any <laughs> i mean there's one likable character i guess um uh, what's her name miriam uh, mcdowell yeah uh but she's passed out most of the movie <laughs> uh but i i, found, I, I thought it was effective Daniel's- yeah, Daniel Gillies is just magnetic. Like mm-hmm. the way he talks and his presence is uh, <laughs> that that uh, that jacket that he's wearing is all it looks lived in. It looks like that is a part, and like he couldn't take that off if he wanted to, which is kind of this a lovely little character detail. Is the the dirty griminess of those two guys? Uh, it it made me wonder if like these guys have been hanging out in this guy's garage for like the past. <laughs> two days getting ready for this like, like they've been they've not they've just been hiding in a ditch outside of this guy's house or something like i thought i just kept coming up with scenarios in my head how they ended up like this and it, it made the movie that much more exciting for me and i when i say I, I don't think you could make a connection movie really better than this and i don't think you could make this movie without the connection i'm not trying to say you know that I wish it would have gone a different direction. As the movie itself, I, I think it's really good. I just, my preference is the movies where it comes out of nowhere and you don't know anything. It, it, it's more, there's nothing behind it. But when you're going to put something behind it, this is how you do it. And uh, where, I mean, the stuff that happens is, I mean, it makes you ask some really good questions. The, you know, especially the wife and her having to, you know, deal with what she's learning uh, all that's very powerful and very well done i i mean it's a hell of a movie and i definitely think horror fans should give this one a shot especially if you're into the more realistic horror and less cheesy horror this is definitely for you all right american night American Night stars Jeremy Piven and Jonathan Reese Myers in one of the worst movies of the year. Boy, do I hate this movie. Uh, the, this is a movie about an ensemble cast that are, it's told it as if the movie were you know put into a blender and assembled at random. Uh, they want to be Tarantino. They also want to be highbrow. Uh, uh, taken seriously and it's just it's just awful it's just awful from beginning to end I don't even know how to describe this plot because I don't really know exactly what the plot is Emil Hirsch is a mobster who wants to get a painting back that was taken from him that he was promised by his late father the painting is the legendary pink Marilyn Monroe uh, created by Andy, Walhar- Andy Warhol in the 60s he he owned it at one time. He wants to get it back somehow. It's gone from it's gone to Japan and is now coming back. And he knows it's coming back. And he tries to kill the guy who's bringing it back so he can get it back. Who that guy was taking it to, I don't know. But it somehow ends up in Jeremy Piven's gym bag. Jeremy Piven is the brother of an artist played by Jonathan Reese Myers, who has his own gallery. Who's dating a woman who also has her own gallery? I guess I, weirdly, I don't know why. That's a, just an odd perspective to have two people who both own and operate art galleries dating is weird to me for some reason i don't understand any aspect of this and why anybody thought this was funny this is just completely random at one point a guy just runs into the cafe that these two guys are in and and just starts shooting people just shooting people and then these guys just get up and walk out covered in blood 
just this is the scene. They're just walking out of a place where a bunch of people just got shot. Uh, yeah, they're just kind of like, well, that happened. Yeah, well, I guess we should get out of here. Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's go. All right. <laughs> now, is this... Like, this is a movie neither one of us like, but a lot of people like, called Boondock Saints, which is very... <laughs> You know, want to be Tarantino, you know, want to be Coen Brothers, want to be a lot of things. Yeah. To the point where it works for more people than it doesn't. Uh, it, it, will this work for an audience like that or no? No. These characters aren't cool. <laughs> There's nothing cool. I know people think that the character in Boondock Saints characters aren't cool. He's an artist. He's just. Jeremy Pivot's character is just so fucking random. Like he he's trying to be a, a karate guy, I guess. He's a Hollywood stuntman who's like learning karate. Like we see multiple scenes of him trying to throw throwing stars with blindfolded for some reason. He has this theory that he that he goes on about uh, because again, this writer thinks he's Quentin Tarantino, uh, so, and he's certainly not. But he goes on about how you. No, no, you can kill a guy with a golf club with one blow. You don't need multiple blows. One blow will kill a guy. Trust me, I know. And I guess that does pay off later, but I don't know why it's there. It doesn't do anything. It's not cool. It just sets up something that happens that you don't really get to see. You see the outline of the golf club in a shadow hitting a guy. (laughs) So you don't even really get to see the thing that you're promised. So is there any at least stylized violence? At least Boondock Saints had some of that. Is there any this has of- a lot of like pretentious artistic stuff in it. Uh, not necessarily the violence. The violence is rather hand-fisted and, and just kind of action movie. But they have a lot of setups with the art, especially in his art gallery that are like, you know that a, a production designer spent days trying to cobble this together for a scene that lasts you know, 30 seconds. <laughs> so they're going to stand in this very arty background and have an important conversation. Oh, it's so bad. There's so many bad things about this movie. Characters you can't tell apart. Uh, characters who, uh, there's a female character who is apparently like, I don't know if she's well known on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, but she's in this movie and she's not prominent at all. She plays, I guess, I think she's Emil Hirsch's girlfriend. But honestly, it's hard to tell. She barely has enough screen time to establish who she is. She at one point just hands him a drink and he and she's dressed in a bathing suit. So you assume maybe that they must have some sort of romantic connection, I guess. They're very intimate in that moment. But that's the only time they seem to be intimate. And then she gets the biggest death in the movie. You see her head just exploded all over a window. Why does she get this death? Why is hers the most important death in the movie? <laughs> she gets the most spectacular, explosive death. She's not a character in the movie. She's either loved or hated on TikTok, probably. <laughs> if there's an inside joke, I don't know what it is, and I didn't find it funny. Or even if it's not an inside joke, just, uh, well, people, this audience might come watch the movie. So let's just. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm on YouTube. Come see me get my head blown off. Yeah, well, I'm glad I didn't watch this one. <laughs> yeah, you're just you count yourself lucky. Don't bother with this piece of garbage. Most people didn't. I don't think it made any money. Good. I thought Jeremy <laughs> Piven was canceled, so I'm surprised to see him in anything. Either <laughs> that's that why or, he's in this movie. Either that, or he just 
a natural douchebag, and that's what. <laughs> and I just assumed he's canceled. I don't know. You know, it's weird is that Jonathan Reese Davies actually put out a better movie the same weekend. It's called The Survivalist. It's him and John Malkovich. And it's just a straight ahead COVID-19 era action movie about a guy defending his farm from people who are trying to take it away. And that movie is kind of effective in its violence and and kind of exciting in a kind of old school action movie way. Uh, Jonathan John Malkovich is a guy who thinks he's uh, who thinks he's he's survived COVID. Uh, in this movie, COVID has grown to such a degree that it's killing everyone who gets it. And he somehow survives it. So he thinks he's a prophet. And there's this girl who is immune to COVID, uh, played by Ruby Modine. And she's run on the run from him because they think he thinks if he can get a hold of her, they can restart humanity with people who are immune to COVID. So she's on the run from him. She goes to Jonathan Reese Myers' farm and stays there and he protects her. And there's a showdown between Myers and Malkovich and Malkovich's minions. What is I know the name Jonathan Reese Myers. What is he from? Does he have like a big he movie? Is that, from I th- is he in Queen of the Damned? Is that him? Um, he was supposed to be really big at one point. Like he had a a big movie with John Travolta that went nowhere. Um, I'm not sure if he was big on he, TV. He might have been on the Tudors. Is that okay. the show? I know nothing about him. Then I know I see the name <laughs> pop up here and there. He may as well be Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> <laughs> Josh might listen since he was on last week. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about old Henry. I did read your review of this, and you seem to like it. Right? Or am I yeah, wrong? Yeah, uh, old Henry. I know. This is a good movie. Uh, old Henry stars Tim Blake Nelson as old Henry. He's a farmer in the Old West who uh, stumbles across. Well, he sees this horse just riding alone. Obviously, it had a rider on it, so he goes to look to find the rider, and he does. Uh, and it's this uh, character played by uh, Scott Hayes who uh, has been shot. He thinks he might be dead, and he's got a big satchel of money. So the right thing for Henry to do is to, would be to ride away and just leave this guy to die and just leave the situation alone. But he doesn't. He picks him up, he rescues him, and he takes the money as well. Uh, the money is being pursued by a character played by Stephen Dorff, who claims to be a lawman, but then Scott Hayes' character also claims to be a lawman, and Henry's trying to divine between the two of them. But what they what neither of them realize is that Henry is actually a super badass. He's a former he's a former gunman in the is just a total badass who just has no time for any of this shit. And he's just ready to just turning him loose to kill everybody. It's just the worst idea that anybody has. Uh, something that Scott Hayes' character kind of comes to realize right away, but Steven Dorf doesn't, and that it sets up a really fun conflict. Uh, and it's fun to watch just Tim Blake Nelson be a badass in the old West. Like he doesn't look like a badass, but he, he, they, they do such a great job of building him up, kind of giving him this legendary feel that it, it, you really buy in. And then there's, uh, there's a big twist in this movie that a lot of people have found kind of divisive. I, I didn't mind it so much, but I know there's a lot of people who, who did kind of get put off by that, but uh, I, I didn't mind it. I really like this movie. Especially, I, I I always say I'm not a big fan of westerns, but then I end up liking hardcore westerns, and this is kind of a hardcore western. Yeah, for the most part, I can't think of a western you haven't liked that we've talked about on the show. <laughs> we didn't go back to, we haven't gone to too many old John Wayne ones, or, I mean, usually yeah. when we talk them, they're classics, so I suppose that's a reason for it, but, uh, yeah. 
I wrote an article about why uh, it's related to my dad and his his liking westerns and my defining my identity to be not my dad. Fair enough. <laughs> so it's a whole lot of psychological stuff to my saying I don't like westerns. Yeah. You also attended the Nashville Film Festival. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and in fact, I'm still kind of attending it as well because there's still a couple days left. But I had a chance to see uh, several films at the Nashville Film Festival that is ongoing through October 6th. And uh, there's some good stuff there. There's some stuff that's kind of weird and kind of off-putting. One movie that I I can't even begin to describe. It's right there with American Night. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. (laughs) Not ever seen, just this year. But uh, it's about the female orgasm. But it's it's like people who are trying to find the perfect female orgasm. And they have this new person who's coming to work for their collective who also is, I guess, looking for the perfect female orgasm. But then everybody's played as if they're kind of a terrible person that you wouldn't want to be around. But they're also doing something that you'd think would be a noble purpose. Because, <laughs> I mean, I want women to have orgasms. I just don't want these people to be anywhere near good things i hated them all so it kind of made it weird was it directed <laughs> so, by a white male <laughs> i don't know who directed it i can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head something success but i i hated that movie just a lot and i don't think i even made it all the way through because it was just so irritating it was so uh it wanted to be like a be- it wanted to be like a porno version of best in show i think <laughs> <laughs> but with no nudity so it's like a lot of a lot of sexual talk, like a lot of open sexuality among a group of oddballs who are kind of like best in show characters, but none of them are likable or interesting. <laughs> Sounds remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I hated it. Uh, but what I did like, though, is a brand new documentary on the band. Aha. Are you familiar with Aha? Of course. Take Love on Aha. me, right? Yeah. You love the ha. Okay, then I this love is actually some of it. I want to see the movie. I didn't know this is a really great movie. It's called Aha the Movie, and it's taking you through the entire career and the strange dynamic between these three guys who a lot of people assume were one hit wonders. And I guess in America, they kind of were. Right. But worldwide, they're one of the biggest bands in the world. They've literally played in front of the two largest audiences in world history <laughs> that attended Aha concerts. Uh, that which is quite a quite a fun thing to to know. I really had no idea how huge that they were and are now. They're still huge uh, worldwide. And this documentary is fascinating. The, the weird dynamic between the three of them. They don't seem like friends. They seem like coworkers. <laughs> and but they they work well together. They kind of they kind of like each other enough to work together, but not a lot of, to be nice to each other. <laughs> Which is a weird, fascinating dynamic. Most bands don't survive that when you have these kind of you know clashes. And sometimes they didn't. They broke up a couple times, but they always come back together. <laughs> and it's not super emotional. It's just well, let's let's make another, let's do another thing, I guess, and then we'll make a bunch of money and go back to our very rich lives. And I found that dynamic fascinating, and this documentary captures it wonderfully. On top of the the wonderful use of the animation style that's in take on me they use that to kind of illustrate their past occasionally it's there not overwhelmingly it's not the entirety of the movie but 
it, it's a, it's there a lot of the times, and it takes you through each of their records. And their records are really good. And if anybody had given them a chance in America, maybe they could have been big here too. It's strange that like this very like America centric attitude that we all have that I have too, that I think we're the, you know, everything we do here is the biggest thing. And if it's not big here, it can't be big anywhere else. This documentary is a wonderful corrective for that. That's cool. It's an amazing, even bands that are based out of America that are huge overseas. Like they live here, but then the, they won't tour here at all. Cause there's no money in it, but they'll, they'll hit up Japan. <laughs> It was like slaughter. It was like huge in Japan. Mr. Big is like Metallica big over, you know, elsewhere. Uh, But (laughs) over here, they can't play. You know, the band Europe is an arena band here. They could maybe play a bar. Uh, (laughs) Right. Exactly. And they have to play a final countdown four times in that same show. It's insane. (laughs) But it's very cool. I definitely look forward to seeing that because I'm very interested in stuff like that but i think you'd be surprised about how most bands that do last long find a way to transition from friends to co-workers <laughs> that's, that's how they manage to make it yeah uh, so that sounds really neat i i'm that's looking sad. forward to seeing that it is but at the same time if you had to live with somebody day in and day out uh it, you need your you need to get away from them to, I I get that it. Was your, that was your vows with your wife, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh-huh. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even of all the years of... Because I used to get interview a lot of rock stars, and I've been on their tour yeah. buses and stuff, and it is very much... I, I get it. They were... I You... Like, I was in college, and you are in your dorm room. It's already tough with your roommate. These are four to five guys plus whatever crew you have in bunks with a curtain. You don't have a door to close. <laughs> yeah. So and and it's like that for probably the first ten years of your career. I could see. I understand how it turns into a business relationship versus friends. Anyway, what else did you yeah. saw? Uh, something else called Charm Circle. Charm Circle. Yes, this is a weird and fascinating documentary about a uh, Jewish family in New York that's kind of fractured. Uh, The director is a member of this family. She's uh, making this movie about her family. And this movie is really strangely engrossing, but also kind of terrifying. Uh, Just these two characters who are, are functioning kind of, but they're also just kind of very odd, very odd to a very odd degree. And you kind of wonder just what, what happens to people like this in, in, in our society who don't seem to have any kind of skill? Like they, they seem to be hanging on to that bottom rung so hard. And, and like if these people fall off the economic map, what happens to them? They end up homeless or they end up, you know, living with children who have to, you know, carry, try and carry them because there's just nothing that they can do anymore at a certain point. And that, to me, just was terrifying. It's not the point of the movie, but it terrified me watching it, just thinking about that. It put it in my head. But it's also just the, the fractured relationship between these these parents and their three daughters, So, one of whom is about to, who's moved so far away. She's moved from New York City all the way to Olympia, Washington, to get away from her parents. And uh, she's getting married to two women uh, in a you know, threesome marriage. And the, the father is a traditional a Jewish man who's kind of entirely resistant to the idea of his daughter getting into this relationship. So 
that that's part of it, but it's also just about the strange history of this family and the very odd dynamic between husband and wife who are kind of more, obviously more roommates than they are husband and wife anymore. And ones who don't really get along very well, even, but they're not going, they're not getting apart from each other in any way. They kind of sweetly take care of each other, but then don't, it's so odd. And they feed into the worst sides of each other. And you get into the history of who they, who they were and who like she had a master's degree. And then it seems like she might've had schizophrenia come in at some point. And it's just, it becomes very sad and you're watching these people and it's just very sad, but then also kind of slightly heartwarming. It's weird, but I like it. I like it because it's very different. You don't see many documentaries that are this honest and this strange. And, and certainly you don't see this type of person, these type of people in documentaries yeah. or anywhere, really. That sounds fascinating. Uh, that is our show. Uh, <laughs> Next week, it's back more back to our standard uh, episode. Uh, we have No Time to Die. Is that the last uh, Bond movie with Daniel Craig? Yes. That's like the 50th time we said that, though, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, and Prisoners of Ghostland, of the Ghostland, which we we found out kind of late that that was already out. Although we would have had to really scramble to get it in. That's possible. Yeah. I would have missed it. So we're going to move that to next week. Uh, South of Heaven, love the title. Uh, and everybody's talking about Jamie or what we have on the docket for next week. Maybe Lamb, depending on if it makes its way here. Uh, I'm so in for that movie. Oh my God, the trailer's so good. I know. <laughs> and I need I need a movie like that. Unless Prisoners of, Go- of the Ghostland are able to satisfy my need for something uh, out there. Uh, and our classic is God told me to. So, yeah, we're gonna kind of getting for October. We're just gonna get into some horror movies that hopefully neither of us have seen. I know neither of us have seen this one, right? You've not. I've not you seen heard this, of this one. Movie? I have seen the one we're gonna do the following week. But you've I, seen Saint Maud, yes. But okay. not, which I'm, I still want to talk about it. It's okay. <laughs> I guess we didn't get a chance to see it when it came out because of the whole pandemic thing. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't even know what God told me to is. So I'm looking. For, I like the title. I found it, it on. The, I found it on an obscure list of horror of horror movies that have been overlooked by time, and I'm kind of looking for those titles. Yeah. For the rest of this month, so feel free to make suggestions on our Facebook page. I know uh, cousin Jeff might have a few. <laughs> He's seen so many. Yeah, but no, I'm looking forward to any time. I love when we can go back and do horror. I'm glad we got to do a horror movie this week. It's always fun. Uh, but yeah, so before we hit on the flick chart, remember to go to patreon.com slash critics pod to help support the podcast. If you want to get some of our merch, go to tpublic.com and search critics pod or everyone's a critic movie review podcast, or go to I hate and click on the T public link. Otherwise let's pull up some flick chart before we call it a night. Oh yeah. And if you want to listen to us on YouTube, all right. Uh, click on the little bell to get notified when we go live or follow us on our social media pages as I do post our link as we're live. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Popeye. Huh. Um, they're both weird and interesting. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I was leaning that way too. And I don't know if it's just because it's newer or what, but I, that was just my initial reaction. I 
grew up on Popeye. I loved it as a kid. Uh, clear and present danger road trip. <laughs> it's clear and present danger for me. It's a road trip for me. I do not like <laughs> these movies. How dare you, sir? I just love that. I get that in my head all the time. Yeah, you won. So clear and present danger wins the coin flip. Rain of Not Fire. Even sure if that's the right movie. <laughs> Rain of Fire. The cell. It's Patriot Games, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I hate both these movies. So, uh, which one do I hate less? Um, the Cell. Yeah, I was leaning that way as well. World War Z. Scream Two. <sighs> Scream 3 is the real bad one. Yeah. Uh, World War Z is probably as good as a movie that messy could be. Brad Pitt's really good in that. Scream 2 is way shorter. I'll take that one. Yeah, I'm having a hard time with this one. I really don't. I suppose, Is it really shorter or are you just guessing? <laughs> I'm guessing. World War Z is like almost three hours long. So That is true. Yeah, I'll go Scream 2. I just, I don't care that much, really. But, <laughs> uh, wow, Be Cool Pearl Harbor. This is a great matchup. <laughs> be cool because of The Rock. I was going to say Be Cool because of Steven Tyler. He's horrible in it, but that was a fucking disaster of a movie when it that was. came out. It was not so quite, was. Not quite Pearl Harbor. Uh, run Lola Run Marley and Me it's Run Lola Run but Marley and Me doesn't have any right to be as good as it is it really Owen Wilson sells the shit out of that movie yeah I agree completely Scott Pilgrim versus the world never say never again uh, it's Scott Pilgrim by a lot by a lot Blair Witch Project 28 weeks later Blair Witch yeah the Silence of the Lambs Scream 2. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, not even close. The Haunted Mansion. <laughs> the Cider House Rules. Give me a fucking break here. Fishing with Gandhi. No, even Haunted Mansion is better than fucking yeah, Cider House Rules. It had a lower bar, and I, I got to it. Uh, California Split. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I think we need to watch that one sometime. I've heard good things. The last Boy Scout, Itu Mama Tambien. Itu Mama Tambien. The last Boy Scout is a guilty pleasure for sure. Oh, for sure, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's not good. No. It's not a good movie. It's but Itu Mama Tambien is fantastic. So yeah, it's wonderful. But Last Boy Scout is so easy to watch, though. Oh, yeah, I mean, just I love the scene of just running down for a touchdown and pulling a gun out and shooting your defender. <laughs> so stupid. Perfect for that so age. Good. Perfect. Uh, Amistad, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. Yeah. The Crow, Match Point. Match Point. Absolutely. I like The Crow. Yeah. Match Point. Yeah, when we made the classic a few years ago, I don't I don't hate it, but I don't get it either. But Match Point's mm. phenomenal. Spotlight, Karate Kid Part 3. Spotlight. Yeah. Amadeus Cops with Buster Keaton. 
I don't think either of us have seen Cops. I certainly haven't. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, I wanted something good. Uh, Amadeus, meet the Robinsons. <laughs> Amadeus. Like, I want to have to think. <laughs> and even this, maybe before we, it should have been tough, but then we watched Midnight Cowboy. Uh, the French Connection, Midnight Cowboy. Um, I hate them both. Uh, French I th- Connection. I thought you liked the French Connection. No, no, I've watched it again, and it's just it's not as good as I thought it was. But Midnight Cowboy is kind of a mess. Hannah, I hate Midnight Cowboy, but I hate Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, Hannah, Dick Tracy. Hannah, because Dustin Hoffman's in Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. The Revenant, Get Smart. Revenant. Yeah. Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Battleship. Something I've seen Battleship Big Tempkin, but I, I don't. It's been you know been too long. And I, yeah, just skip it. All yeah. right. Uh, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> it's Ghost Protocol. They still love Freddy's Revenge, though. I don't really like either one, so I'll just go with you. <laughs> Paul Blart, Mall Cop, iRobot. iRobot. Fuck Paul Blart. That's fine. 10 Cloverfield Lane, 22 Jump Street. That is tough. That's a funny movie. Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are funny together. Yeah, I, I uh, for me, I think if it was twenty one, I'd go twenty one Jump Street. I did like Cloverfield Lane a lot, uh, so I'll lean that way. You can go wherever you want. All right, I'll go with Cloverfield just to go with you. I do like twenty two Jump Street. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and if, like I said, if it was the original, I would have definitely probably gone with that. The Magnificent Seven, Triple X, State of the Union. I mean, it's Magnificent Seven over a very low bar. <laughs> There's no business like show business, white chicks. Never seen it. Which Never one? seen this. No business like show. I've seen white chicks. <laughs> the Pelican Brief or white chicks. Pelican Brief. Yeah. The Twilight Saga, New Moon, Birdman. Birdman. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you. <laughs> Mama Mia, the A-team. Oh, they're both garbage. Light them both on fire. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll do that. Night Crossing Cars. I don't know Night Crossing. Neither do I. Raising Arizona Cars. Raising Arizona. It's a very easy one. House of Flying Daggers, Lions for Lambs. Lions for Lambs is one of the most disappointing films I've ever seen. Like this, that should have been brilliant. I mean, we got Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Tom Cruise in a story that was of the moment about uh, terrorism and policy, and it's got a really smart idea to it, and then it just completely lays there dead for ninety minutes. That's awful. House of Flying Daggers. I mean, Robert Redford's one, too. The more I go back and look at stuff, I don't necessarily love it. Yeah. I mean, you got all the president's men. I'll give you that. But, I mean, Sting isn't as good as I thought it would be. Butch Cassidy's not as good as I thought it would be. Uh, The Candidate? The Candidate. What I do like is Paul Newman in those movies. Uh, But, 
yeah I, he's really the natural i think is one of the worst movies ever uh, <laughs> i really hated that anyway the karate kid part three amistad amistad i do have a soft spot for karate kid part three i watched that a lot as a kid a league of their own liar liar i like both those movies but it's a league of their own for me yeah i'm with you the sheriff of fractured jaw no idea what that is terrible title <laughs> crime buster also don't know i don't know that one either the little mermaid fast and the furious fast and the furious this, this is fast the, and furious this uh, is like the fifth the fifth fatter. one god damn it i can't even win that one <laughs> Poseidon, eight heads in a duffel bag. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Set them both on fire, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get a thing for eight heads? You no, fit? I was just uh, dozing off. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Tintin, Species 2. <laughs> Tintin. Yeah, Species 1. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Not really. Cocoon, Secret Window. Secret Window. Love that movie. Yes. Die Hard 2, The Abyss. You, you pick. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any strong feelings about The Abyss, and I don't like Die Hard 2. Yeah, we had like the opposite reaction to Die Hard 2. I hated it forever <laughs> until, we, until it turned 30, and I was like, this isn't as bad as I thought. And you were like, this is way worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But neither one of us like the abyss, so yeah, I, I there you go. That's it, fair. But Winter's Bone, Syriana. Winter's Bone. Yeah. Syriana was good. It could have been better. Right. It needed a tighter edit. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, World War Z. Close Encounters. Yeah. Superman, analyze this. Analyze this. <laughs> I'm begrudgingly because I've come to really hate Spider-Man or Superman. <laughs> I like analysis. Though. The conversation or while you were sleeping. The conversation. Uh, Ready Player One Transformers. Ready Player One. Even though it's not a good movie. Alone in the Dark Taken. Taken. Fine. I don't know what Alone in the Dark is. I imagine if you watch Taken now, it probably sucks. <laughs> Rocky three, Dickie Roberts, former. Child it's like star. one of the. That's like a moment. Take. I sorry, I gotta go back to take it yeah, for just fine. a second. It's like a. It's like a movie that just lives for that cultural moment and then goes away. Kind of like way Austin Power cultural moment that doesn't last. Uh, it, I I think the Austin Powers movies are fine now, but like the, in the moment they were the biggest thing ever. Taken in the moment is the biggest thing, and then you know you look back on it now and you know. What did we really see in that? <laughs> I just saw a guy I could beat up. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't buy a special set of skills at all. <laughs> uh, all right, last one: Rocky Three or Dickie Roberts, former child star. <laughs> Rocky Three. Yeah. <laughs> Unless something amazing pops up, we're done. <laughs> nope. We're done. <laughs> 